Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we are continuing in our series through the book of James called The Matters of Real Christianity. Today, Pastor Roy comes to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, and is going to talk about blessing, a matter of obedience. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of James and follow along with Pastor Roy. On the uh, book of James. So if you turn to James chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 19. I'm not going to make it as far as I originally thought uh, when I started uh, working on this. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 1. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And there you can see where I got the sermon title this morning is Blessing a Matter of Obedience. When we do what God says, we will be blessed. Even way back in the book of Deuteronomy, we have the blessings and the cursings. And God's people, he said, would be blessed if they do what he says, and they will be cursed if they don't do what he says. And it's very plain, and he outlines exactly what we should be doing, and doing it according to God's word. There was a New England teacher that quizzed a group of high school juniors and seniors on the Bible. Their knowledge of the Bible was quite revealing by some of the unusual answers they gave. For instance, they said that Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers, and that Jezebel was Ahab's donkey. Others said the four Gospels were Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. They went on to say that Eve was created from an apple, and that Jesus was baptized by Moses. The answer that was the most surprising was the response to the question, what was Golgotha? The answer was, Golgotha was the name of the giant who slew the apostle David. And boy, you think how ridiculous that is. We live in a superficial and frivolous age. Of the 700, this is actually a statistic back from the late 90s, It says, of the 730 million books that were printed in America during a certain year, about 720 million of them were comic books. That's 72 out of every 73 books published in America in the late 90s was a comic book. Over $100 million spent on comics. About four times, they say, the combined annual book purchasing budget of all public libraries in the country. And over that, which is allocated to textbooks for the nation's elementary and secondary schools. 
David Jeremiah tells a story about a very religious father uh, whose son was studying for the ministry. The boy had decided to go to Europe for an advanced degree, and the father worried that his simple faith would be spoiled by sophisticated, unbelieving professors. Don't let them take Jonah away from you, he admonished, figuring the swallowed by a great fish story might be the first in the Bible to go. Two years later, when the son returned, the father asked, Do you still have Jonah in your Bible? The son laughed. Jonah, that story isn't even in your Bible. The father replied, It certainly is. What do you mean? Again, the son laughed and insisted, It's not in your Bible. You go ahead and show me. His dad fumbled through the Bible looking for the book of Jonah, and he couldn't find it, and he checked the table of contents for the proper page, and when he turned there, he discovered three pages were missing that comprised Jonah had been carefully cut out of his Bible. He said, I did it before I went away, said the son. What's the difference between my losing the book of Jonah through studying under non-believers or you losing it through neglect? I thought, wow, how convicting that his dad hadn't even found the book of Jonah in two years. How much had he really looked at it? According to Wycliffe Bible Translators, there's just under 2,300 languages across 130 countries that have an active translation and linguistic development work happening right now to get the Bible in somebody's particular language. And yet someone has observed that the worst dust storm in history would happen if all the church members who were neglecting their Bibles dusted them off simultaneously. It's kind of sad, isn't it? And yet here we have before us a passage that says we will be blessed if we obey God's word. And we can't possibly begin to obey God's word unless we know God's word. And we can't possibly know God's word if we don't read God's word and to be able to do what it says. And so God has called us to do that. So there needs to be at the beginning an eagerness to receive God's word. Did you come in this morning with an eagerness to hear, with your spiritual ears on to hear what God has to say to you? And what are you going to do about that when you do hear that? This comes, our eagerness to receive God's word comes because we have a desire to obey God's word. If I lose my desire to obey God's word, then I don't really want to receive it. And so how can we receive God's word? Psalm 119, 129 says, Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. Do you look at God's statutes as wonderful? He says in John 13, 17, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And that's where Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. And he says, you will be blessed if you do what Jesus did. So in other words, it's not just reading the Word of God, but it's actually doing what it says. It's putting into practice what God has told us to do. And that is a challenge for all of us, is it not? And yet that's what God has called us to do. So the first thing we see here, oh, let me back up, how I receive God's Word. How I receive God's Word. He tells us in verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this, everyone should be what? Quick to listen. Quick to listen. So the first thing to be able to be quick to listen is we have to have a concentrated focus 
To be swift to hear, we have to have a concentrated focus. We can't come in and think about what I did last week, what I did yesterday, what I'm going to do tomorrow. We have to have a concentrated focus on what God has told us in his word. To hear with intention. To have a teachable spirit. It shows a readiness on the part of the listener to take in the message, to receive it with joy, and accept God's revelation to us. We welcome God's word into our life and we invite the Holy Spirit to teach us. And we get rid of all the distractions and we receive it as the word of God. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So for us to really take in the Word of God, we have to have a concentrated focus to do that. To be tuned in rather than zoned out, we need that. Hearing God's Word is what allows us for our faith to take root. Remember what Paul said in Romans. He said, faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the Word of God. So our faith actually grows when we take in the Word of God and we have a concentrated focus and we take it in and we hear what it has to say to us. There was a U.S. Army officer who told of the contrast of his pupils during two different eras of teaching at the artillery training school at Fort Seal, Oklahoma. In 1958 to 1960, the attitude was so lax, the instructors had a problem of keeping the students awake during some of the lectures. They would not listen. So that was in 58 to 60. But during the 56 to 67 classes, the men who heard the same lectures were very alert and they took copious notes. The reason? Because in less than six weeks, they'd be facing the enemy in Vietnam. You see, when we understand that when we walk out these doors, we're going to be facing the enemy, we will pay attention to the word of God. That he's going to come to 1966 Maple Drive and he's going to attack my home. He's going to come to put your address in there. He's going to attack your home. And so that means I have to be equipped and ready and have that concentrated focus on the word of God that God wants us to have. The second thing we need is careful communication. He goes on to say, slow to speak. We seek to understand before we rashly and thoughtlessly just put our tongue in gear. We have to think about what we're going to say. We need to choose our words wisely. And I can tell you, I have failed in this area more times than I care to remember. <laughs> I, I really have. A, a teacher should not be too hasty in giving answers before he has studied the scriptures. And so there's a, an admonishment for us, even as teachers and preachers of God's word. In Proverbs 10:19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And you think about that, and it is so true. There's an old union reminder that says, beware of a loose tongue because it may lead to loose teeth. <laughs> Think about that. A loose tongue can lead to loose teeth. 
Somebody else said a sharp tongue and a dull mind are usually found in the same head. And boy, you think about that and it is so true. The third thing we need is controlled emotions. Controlled emotions. We are slow to become angry. We need to exercise self-control and keep our emotions in check. Wisdom is knowing when to speak your mind and when to mind your speech. <laughs> knowing when to do that is so vital. Anger tends to build up when we become inflexible. We say, it's my way or the highway. So many people want to be in control, in control of not only themselves, but in control of everyone else. And they become angry when things don't go their way. And that's not good. And somebody said, anger makes your mouth work faster than your mind. <laughs> you ever have something just spew out of you out of anger, and then it's like, oh, I wish I could stuff it back in there. Anger does that to us. People can also, though, get angry when they are confronted with the truth. We see that in the book of Acts when, when Stephen was standing up to give his testimony before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. And he was telling them the truth and he went and recounted all the history of God's work with the Israelites and all that he shared. And it says in Acts 7.54, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They were angry. Anger leads to unrighteousness, and that's why he says we need to abandon. Notice what he says in verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And somebody else wisely tells us that anger is just one letter shy of the word danger. When we lose our temper, we lose our testimony. So we need to be careful with our, our anger. We also need to make a clean break from moral impurity. Notice what he says in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. He says we need to make a clean break from moral impurity. If there's anything in our life that is impure, we need to make a clean break of it. We need to confess it. We need to repent. Repent is what? Repentance means I'm going this way, and I make a 180. I turn around, and I go this way, away from that moral filth, and I go toward the truth of God, and I am absolutely sorry and broken over my sin. I'm sorry that I violated God's law. I'm sorry that I, and, and there's a, there's a, there should be a sense of shame with that. And I turn away from that in, in shame and I go to the Lord and I say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And I make a clean break with that. It's so vital that we have that. And notice he is, in verse 19, he says, my dear brothers, he is writing to believers. All of us are subject to moral filth and we need to make a break with it. This moral impurity is a wickedness of heart, life, and character. He's saying it's an overabundance of evil that we would have in our lives. And he says, get rid of all moral filth. Not some, not partial, not I'll do it except on the weekends. No, all moral filth. We are to get rid of all of it, all the time. 
couple other verses that tell us about putting things off in our lives. In Romans 13, 12, he says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. He says, put them aside, get rid of it. Here in Ephesians 4, 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The old self needs to, to go. And then also in Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. A Christian should not be trapped and engaged in habitual moral impurity. Will there be slip-ups? I'm sure there can be for any of us. But there should not be a habitual lifestyle of moral impurity in our, our lives. You see, a habit is, uh, when you look up the definition of habit, it's an usual way of behaving, something that a person often does in a regular and repeated way. When we get rid of that moral impurity, we are saying that we are, we are uh, having a change in lifestyle. Our habits that have been put in place can sabotage the work that God wants to do. If you have a habit of moral impurity, you need an accountability partner. Because the chances are you will never break that sin by yourself. You confess it to God and you repent of it, but you need to get an immoral accountability partner, someone you trust and love and someone who will come alongside of you and will pray for you and hold you accountable if you are serious about getting that out of your life. It is vital. The reason that we hang on to stuff, whether it's moral impurity or just stuff in our lives that God doesn't want, why do we do that? Well, I think there's two reasons why we do it. One is we get joy out of it, or two, there's a source of comfort in it. Even though it's wrong, there's a source of comfort, or there's a source of joy. And both are wrong, and both need to be confessed to the Lord. The other thing I would say in regard to moral impurity is this. Realize, and I don't have this on the overhead, but I want you to hear this. Realize my purity is compromised when. When is my purity compromised? Let me tell you. Realize my purity is compromised when I do not regularly obey God's word. You can be assured that if you go out this door and you start engaging in activity that is contrary to God's word, your moral purity will go out the window. And so will mine. It's absolutely vital. It's only through the word of God that we can remain morally pure. That's why the psalmist said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed thereto according to your word. And when he says taking heed, he doesn't just mean read a chapter a day to keep the tempter away. He means take it inside to my heart and mind and my heart and allow it to change me from the inside out. That's the only way I can remain morally pure. Spiros Zodiades calls this word when he says moral filth. He said it's used of wax in the ear. Sin in our lives, he said, is like having wax in our ears. It prevents the word of God from reaching into our hearts. 
for it cannot penetrate through the ear. And he says, what cannot get through the ear will never get to the heart. We as Christians must take the wax out of our ears so the word may influence our lives. James here is speaking of born-again Christians whose sin may be like wax in his ear, preventing him from hearing and doing the word of God. James also looks at this heart like a garden. And before we can plant a seed in the garden, you have to remove all the weeds, right? And you have to break up that hard ground to be able to plant seed in the ground. And he's saying same is true with us spiritually. Before God can plant his word in our heart, we have to remove all that moral filth. All those weeds have to get out before God's word will take lodging in our lives. We have to turn away from that lifestyle. And notice what he says. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and do what? Then humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. You've got to get rid of the filth first. God doesn't pour his living water into dirty vessels. And so we have to get rid of the filth. We receive with meekness, humility, God's implanted word. The humility is this, that I accept God's dealings with me as good and I do not resist or argue with God. You see, it's possible that God begins to share something with me that I need to do, and I stiff-arm him. I say, oh, wait a minute, that's off-limits. This is off-limits. I have this little box. God, that's off-limits. It's not off-limits. We have to give him access to all of our heart, all of our lives, all of our decisions, all of our secrets, have to come before the Lord. I accept God's dealings with me as good, and I do not resist or argue with him about that. That's the humility that God requires. And notice he says the implanted word, the word planted in us is the seed that germinates and grows. The only seed that will take root is the one that's in the ground, in the soil, that has the air, the water, the light, the heat, and everything that is necessary to germinate that seed. And that is true in our lives with the Word of God. It has to be in us in such a way it will germinate and grow through our obedience and through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Confession, coming clean, getting rid of the moral filth, and allowing God's Word to grow in us. And that comes through our obedience our heart is soft and pliable, and we have a tenderness and sensitivity toward the truth. Some of you will remember the parable of the soils. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about the parable of the soils. And he talks about the different conditions of the heart. And there's only one condition that is actually good and will actually take the seed and do something with it. The other ones, the seed never germinates and it never grows. He talks about in Mark 4, 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed, he said, along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, listen, as soon as they hear God's word, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So here's what we need to be mindful of. As you are hearing the word of God this morning, as I am hearing the word of God, 
Satan is at work to snatch that word out of your heart today. You hear something that you need to act on, and he, he, he's right there to say, wait a minute, you know, you don't need to act on that. Let me take that out of your life. You're convicted about this over here. Oh, let me take that out of your life. You're convicted about, let me take that out of your life. And he is constantly snatching the seed of God's word. And that's why some people can be in church for years and they hear the word, they hear the word, and they never respond because Satan has snatched the word and it never takes root in their heart. Oh, God, help us. Never to get to that point where our hearts aren't ready to receive God's word. He talks in there in the parable of the soils about a hard heart, a stony heart. God's word is received with joy, it says, but it does not take root. And you know why it doesn't take root? It says because of trouble or persecution. When trouble comes along, they throw in the towel. When persecution comes along, I'm not willing to accept that. And so they have a shallow heart. Some people get defensive. Say, don't you dare tell me I need to change something in my life. Who are you to confront me with the truth? And they get defensive. But when the message begins to stir their heart, they block it with defensiveness or unbelief. No, they say that message is for weak people. I'm not a, I'm not a weak person. And they reject the message. Some people rationalize. Say, I'm a good person. I go to church. I give money to the church. I serve in the church. I sing. I do a lot of good things. I help in Awana. You may do all those things and yet still not really be hearing God's word and could be deceived. Or pride, where I'm concerned about what other people think about me. Or you could have a heart that is so overcrowded with weeds that God's word has no root, no place for you in your heart. It's so overcrowded with weeds and thorns. The Bible says those thorns choke out God's word. And you know what it says those thorns are? The deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now there's nothing wrong with having money and even having lots of money. But we have to be careful that we don't allow that to choke out the Word of God in us. And then he goes on to say that the good heart, the fertile soil, they are the ones who accept God's Word and it takes root in their life and they grow and develop in their faith and they have a very tender heart toward the truth and toward God's Word. Let's go on from here. My openness then to apply God's word. Here is the key that we have an openness to apply God's word to our life. Look at verse 22 again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And herein lies the challenge for every one of us. Every one of us struggle with this. But here's what he says in Matthew. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And why was he wise? Because there's a storm coming and he will be ready. 
I don't know what storm is knocking at your door. Maybe you don't have one right now, but I can guarantee you there's a storm coming that will absolutely level your house, will level your life, will destroy your family if you do not base your life and your family on the Word of God. And that's why we preach that here unapologetically. We have to have the Word of God. Satan is out to absolutely destroy us. We looked in here earlier about trials. We're going to face trials, but how do we interpret those trials and understand those trials? Well, I understand from the Word of God that God is maturing me and making me more like Jesus Christ. I understand that when temptation comes, that comes from my evil, sinful impulse. But I also understand that there's no temptation taken me but that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I am able, but will with the way make a way of escape that I can bear it. And I learn all that from the Word of God. If I lack wisdom, I can ask God who gives wisdom generously. And so I learn all of that from God's Word to practice it. So here's, here's the deal. Application is the key to life change. Application is the key to life change. So let me ask you just a couple questions. that I didn't put these on the overhead. And maybe there'll be one or two you want to jot down. You don't need to jot them all down. But I just want to jog your mind to think about application. In other words, when you're reading a passage of Scripture, how does this particular passage encourage me to regularly take in God's Word, if it does? Or how does this passage help me in my relationships when it tells me something in God's Word? God is trying to help me in relationships. How does this passage help me in my marriage, for instance? How does this passage enhance my prayer life? How does this passage give me wisdom for decisions? That's the kind of things we need to ask ourselves. And then there's a couple other things I want to mention that I think are crucial, and, and maybe, maybe I'm preaching to myself. Um, but I hope it strikes a chord with you. And these are a couple things that the Lord brought to me as I was studying this and thinking about this. And that is this. Stop focusing on other people's hypocrisy and start focusing on my own. We are so quick to look at somebody else and say, look at that hypocrite over there. Look what he does. And so many people say, well, I'm not going to church because there's so many hypocrites in church. Guess what? The church is full of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. None of us live 100% obedience to God all the time, right? None of us do. That's the goal that we should strive for, though. So stop focusing on other people's hypocrisy and start focusing on your own. Secondly, stop being consumed with current events and start being saturated with God's Word. We can become so consumed with current events, with the politics of the day. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're like me. I think we're all fed up with that by now. Uh, but stop feeding on all of that and start saturating yourself with the Word of God. Because oftentimes those current events crowd out God's Word, does it not? And then thirdly, stop making my image before others more important than my character before God. Stop making my image before others 
more important than my character before God. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks where? On the heart. And that's what he's concerned about. And when we look down in verse 25, this is actually our, our memory verse for this week. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If we want the blessing of God, it comes from obedience. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment and give you a chance to reflect on the message today. Blessing a matter of obedience. Are you experiencing the blessing of God in your life right now? You say, well, I know some people that aren't living for the Lord and they seem to be having all kind of blessing. I wish we had time to talk about that. There's other passages of Scripture that address that. The psalmist struggled with that. And there are times when we can look at other people and see it, it, from all external appearances that God is blessing them. But I will remind all of us, there's a judgment day coming for all of us. We will all stand before the judgment of God one day, either at the, the great white throne judgment for unbelievers or the judgment seat of Christ for believers and give an account of our life. But maybe you're here this morning and I don't know what the application is for you today. Maybe there's a struggle in your marriage. Maybe there's a struggle with your moral purity. Maybe there's some other struggle in a relationship or a decision. I don't know what the application is for you but I know, and maybe it's just getting into God's Word. Maybe you have neglected God's Word in your life. Maybe you have found yourself yielding to temptation again and again, and now you've got a habit that has become a sinful habit in your life. I don't know what God is saying to you, but I do know this. I know He's faithful to speak to us. And here's my question, what are you going to do with what the Holy Spirit has put his finger on in your life? Are you going to do something about it? The Bible says don't merely listen to the word. You can come in week after week and year after year and hear message after message and it have no real effect on your life until you begin to apply it and humbly receive God's word. That's my challenge to you. Would you be willing to do that? And make those necessary changes. Maybe you need an accountability partner in your life because you realize there is a sin that's got a, a hold on you that you can't get rid of. And the only way you're going to get rid of that is you're going to have to humble yourself before God and say, God, I need help. And then be willing to seek it out. I would encourage you to do that. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, 
your home, the storm will come. If it's not there already, it's coming. The clouds are forming and the storm is coming. No matter what age, are you ready? If you stand on the word of God, you have a solid rock. Like the wise man who did, he put into practice what he heard. May God help us do that. If you have a spiritual need in your life, you need someone to pray with you, I'll be glad to pray with you. I'll be shaking hands at the back. Actually, I probably won't be shaking hands. I'll be smiling and looking at you because I don't feel the best this morning. I've been battling some kind of bug. But um, I'll be glad to pray with you and uh, share with you from God's Word. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.